This is Teach Play Love. The Bright Horizons Parenting Podcast, just for ages 0 to 8. Get the advice you need from our own early childhood expert, Education Vice President Rachel Robertson. And make the most out of every chance to teach, play, and love. Remember when you were a child and you pretended to be like a doctor or a teacher or a favorite character? Your child probably does the same thing because pretend play is totally natural for children. But what happens when they pretend to be, say, superheroes or they play cops and robbers, you know, pretend to fight bad guys? How do you react to that? And also, how do you set some guidelines to make sure they're safe? Rachel and Ruth tackle the topic. Today, we're going to talk about war play, superhero play, good guy, bad guy kind of stuff. That's quite a topic, Rachel. It seems like a complicated one, but I'm pretty sure a lot of families are wondering about, is it okay? Is it not okay? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's why we want to talk about it, because it is something parents and educators alike, you know, they're both worried about it when they see children engaging in this type of play. It feels rough. It maybe feels a little scary. But I'm going to say that if we understand why it's happening, it really will help everyone be less worried and then respond to it appropriately. Then tell us, why does that happen? Why do kids do that? Okay, that is a great question. And I did sort of prompt you to ask me that. But I'm going to start even before that and get us all thinking about imaginary play, our own experiences as a child. So You tell me, Ruth, did you engage in any type of superhero or good guy, bad guy kind of play? Yeah. When I was little, my dad was in the military and we all used to play army all the time. That makes sense, right? Your dad's in the military and you're thinking about the army. It went on with my own children, too. Even in our house, we were like no guns, no toy guns, no any of that kind of thing. And Still, my kids made guns out of Legos and bananas and fingers, and my kids were really good at eating toast until they could make it into a shape, and the shape was often a gun. You see that with children everywhere, and when you tell them, we don't have guns, they don't stop making guns. They just hide it a little bit more. This type of play has been going on for our lifetimes and really long before that. If you look in any kind of history of children's development, they're doing this kind of play, regardless of what country they're in or what circumstances they're in or what time in history they're in. It is completely normal, natural, and universal child behavior. It is a good point that you're making that gun play, war play has been going on for a long time with children. But does it feel like there's more of it now? So children are exposed to this kind of stuff in real life, violence in real life, weapons in real life, in a way they haven't been in the past. In our lifetimes, 24-hour news has happened. That wasn't a thing when I was a kid. And not only is it available all the time, no longer do you have to go get it. It's everywhere. If you are shopping, it is somewhere. If you're at a gas station, it's on If you are at the airport, it's playing in the airport. You cannot get away from news. And news is often about violence or tragedy, weapons, something like that. It's not made for children. So yes, children's exposure to violence has increased that way. 
We're also in this intense superhero phenomenon. Superhero movies have become more violent. There's more violence accepted in those types of movies. So that's also increasing the rate of exposure that children are having. At the same time, their ability to understand it has not increased. When we have a more sophisticated way of processing as adults, we can see a news story on the six o'clock news and then see it again on the 10 o'clock news and know that we've already seen that before. It still elevates our stress level. It still requires us to process it. But children don't know it's the same story. So they're processing it as two separate events if they are exposed to it both times. That does make sense. Do you feel like we should be turning off the news then? As adults, we're contributing to the problem? We do certainly want to think about that exposure rate for children and think about what's appropriate to have them see and know that they're not sophisticated enough to process it. So it would be wise for parents, adults to really think about exposure rates and be the judge of what's appropriate or not. If it's in a superhero movie and you're really excited about getting into that superhero as a family and everybody engaging and being kind of like part of your family culture, just know that you're inviting that the level of violence from that movie into your family life and your child is going to have to respond to that. So then, and and then we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but don't limit their ability to process it because you've given them something to process. So the playing with guns, making guns out of Legos and then hiding those things, that's all their way to process that information? Yeah. So that's what children do through play. And play is the best tool they have available to them to figure out the world. If you look at any kind of children's play. They're playing kitchen. They're playing mom and dad or whatever family unit they have. They're reenacting that. They're sometimes replaying the fight that they saw at home. They're definitely replaying movies or TV shows they've seen. They're working things out and trying to make sense of them that they encounter in real life. And sometimes it gets really way into fantasy, but that's partially because they don't know what's possible or not. They're exploring everything. They're figuring it out. Uh, One of my favorite memories of my younger daughter is she was really good friends with the son of the director at the early care and education program she went to. And often at the end of the day, the four of us would sit in the office and they would play a little bit and the director and I would talk. We were good friends. And then those two, the children, when we would get together on weekends, those two would play office. And what they were doing was processing and figuring out the work that they saw their mothers doing and the way that we work together. They were making sense of the world around them. That is really important. It's a critical tool for children. And that is why we need to be really respectful of children's time to have really in-depth exploratory play and not shame them or make them feel wrong or it's bad for the type of play that they're engaging in. I recently watched my kindergarten age granddaughter right after school started this fall, playing with two dolls. One was the teacher, one was the student. The student would do something a little a little naughty, a little outside the rules. And the teacher went ballistic in her play. And it, it, it would have been so easy to just step in and say, wait a minute, that's not how your teacher is. Yeah. So you can see in that they're just exploring possibilities. They're probably exploring something that they're maybe a little bit afraid of. And 
maybe they're exploring what it feels like to be in control. Children don't have that a lot. So they, in their play, they take a lot of control because they don't have a lot of it in real life. So they're exploring that kind of role, how it feels, exploring things they're afraid of. They're doing so many amazing things while they play together. And if you're thinking about it like that as an adult and just sit down for a couple minutes and watch what they're doing without interfering, you'll see the level of complexity that's going on there. So it's really helpful to know that that kind of play is really good for kids. So does that mean that we should just let it go? Are you saying gunplay, warplay, superheroes are good for our kids? It's a good way to process what's going on? So yes, it's good for children to process and we need to let them do it. But parents can absolutely respond to this type of play and have expectations and guidelines around it. So a couple things to think about if you're a parent or an adult that is responding or grappling with this kind of play and trying to figure out how to respond to it. One thing is just always keep in mind that children do not understand the gravity of this type of play. They don't understand the long-term consequences. They don't have a full grasp on what permanence is. So death to them or long-term injury, that's not what they're doing. They're not playing it out or understanding that's where it's getting. They're just figuring it out. They're thinking, I saw a gun on TV, so why can't I play with it in my play? So to be really thoughtful about not shaming them and, and be sure that you're not taking your adult perception of what happens from war or guns or rough play and putting that assumption that that's what children are playing. Another thing to think about is a lot of people have guns in their daily life. If your mom is a police officer or someone's in the military in your family, they're around different kinds of resources, weapons, tools, things that are sort of normalized in their daily life. This really hit home for me when my family was a military family and my young daughter was three years old. And every day we were going on base and she was passing a guard with guns. And at the same time, I was a teacher, an early childhood teacher that was saying no guns. So I had to really think about this mixed message I was giving my daughter and how that wasn't really the right thing for her to say guns are bad or make her feel like they were bad. That's actually when I started looking into this topic a little bit more because I had to I realized I had to flex my thinking about it and, and look at it a different way. In addition, I would say to be thoughtful about the difference between imitation and fantasy imaginary play. So if kids are acting out a specific scene, there's not creativity in it, that's imitation. They're just doing exactly what they saw on TV or a movie. And there's no value in that. That's the kind of play that you could say you know, take that outside or put some stronger expectations on that because they're not exploring anything. They're not really figuring anything out. They're imitating. That really makes me feel like I understand this whole thing more, that difference between imitation play and imaginary play and listening to kids play. That's just a good thing for all families to do. Thinking about what are they getting out of that that they're doing right now? That's great stuff to contemplate. Yeah. And then I'd say, you know, back to the idea where I said you can have expectations. You as a parent and educators do this too. You think about what is the best for your own safety, the safety of those around you, including psychological safety. So if I walk into a classroom and children are playing with something that feels like they're making it into a gun or they're being rough and I don't feel safe, 
then I can say that doesn't make me feel safe. And teachers or adults could say that doesn't make your sister feel safe or that doesn't make your friends feel safe or I feel unsafe when you two are playing this. That's okay to help children process that their behavior is affecting someone else's physical or psychological safety. That's part of something they need to work out. So it's okay to say that. And there can be expectations, again, for the physical safety about how rough they can be or how, you know, do you really want pretend lightsabers in the house or where is the right place for that to be? And if you talk about those things proactively, if you took your children to see a movie, one of the Star Wars movies that has lightsabers, they're going to play with lightsabers. So talk about it right then. Talk about it before it starts happening. So you're not responding with discipline or frustration in mind, but you're supporting them in how to do something that's very normal, but do it in a way that's safe and feels good for everybody. Here's the thing, pretend play is completely natural for children. When they have the freedom to explore this kind of play, it really does help them understand the world, the good and the bad. So Rachel's advice? Create clear guidelines that keep you and your children feeling safe during fantasy pretend play. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to us and find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time on Teach, Play, Love and rediscover parenting as the joy it was meant to be.